this is Rachel Lin, and you are listening to Upstage Left. In this episode, I speak with Tony Award-nominated actress, director, teacher, and mom, Maria Dizia. I've been a huge fan of Maria's since seeing her in New York Theatre Workshop's production of Belleville by Amy Herzog in 2013, and since then have had the privilege of studying with Maria. I am so excited to share this episode with you. I am such a huge fan of hers, and you're going to be able to tell because in the first 10 seconds she pays me a compliment and I forget how to use words. There's also a very special cameo appearance near the end, so stay tuned for that. While in quarantine, you can catch Maria's work on Orange is the New Black, Horace and Pete, the film Christine, and last year's Oscar-winning short, The Neighbor's Window, which you can watch for free on YouTube, and I highly recommend it. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please follow us on Instagram at Upstage Left Podcast, or share the episode with a friend. Here is Maria Dizia. Hi, Maria. Hi, Rachel. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm much better now that I'm talking to you. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I feel honored. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I saw that you recently did a, uh, a Doll's House Part 2 via Zoom. Oh, yeah. How did that go? I think it went well. It was nice to hear people's responses from it because I think... You know, it's cool because there must have been so many different experiences happening because there's the experience of all of us individually in front of our computers. And then there's the experience of the people who are watching. And, you know, there's always, you're always having separate experiences, I think, as the performer and the audience. But this was really, you know, there's no way for us to tell what the synthesis of, you know, our interactions were. So... It was really cool to see people's responses. Um, and there was something really, my, my favorite thing about it is, you know, we were doing the reading and I was enjoying it. And you go through some feelings of feeling very much alone because you're just in a room by yourself. But yeah. then there'd be these like fleeting moments, you know, feeling really connected to the person that you're talking to, either through the material or through expressions that you see on their face over the computer. Um, but you really had no way of knowing how the audience felt, you know, if, and at the very end, the audience, um, wrote all of these responses. And so people were writing applause, bravo, clap, clap, clap. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. So there's something, there was something really beautiful about it. Or just like silently having all of the, um, their reactions come in. So it was exciting. I'm, I haven't watched a reading yet online, but I'd really like to, because some of the comments that people had said is that it felt more intimate than being at a reading where you're all in the same room together. Um, mm. And I could see that because it's more of a close up of each actor. And also for the most part, I think people's focus is straight ahead of them. So the illusion is probably that the people are talking to you, the viewer. Mm. Um, so, but it was wonderful and it was really, it, it made me feel a lot better because the quarantine obviously has been so challenging for everyone. And I think one of the challenges is not being able to engage in your, in your work, right. That makes you feel like who you are a little bit. So that was a nice experience to get to do that. What have you been doing to pass the time while you're in quarantine? I mean, obviously you have a child, so I'm sure that takes up time. Yeah, it does. But I was going to say, I said to her yesterday that uh, one of my favorite things about quarantine has been uh, doing school with her. 
Oh. I really love it. I, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time away from her recently because I was touring with uh, what the Constitution means to me. Yes. And so we were. She was traveling back and forth between Brooklyn and when I was in LA. Oh wow. Um, yeah, and so that was. She was a trooper, but I think it was also uh, really hard on her. So it's just been so wonderful for me to get to spend all these weeks on end with her. I really loved it. And so we're doing Zoom school. And since she's a kindergartner, she just has her morning meeting and her meeting at the end and Mm. the rest of the schoolwork we do together, which I really, really love. That's so amazing. Yeah. How was taking on that show? You You did it in LA and Chicago? Yeah, we began the run in Chicago, uh, and we did open, and then and then we shortly, uh, a few days after that, had to end and come home for the quarantine. Oh, you didn't really, get to finish? No, we didn't finish the run in Chicago. No, I think that we were only, we didn't even get into double digits in the month of March. Um, I loved it. it. What the Constitution means to me is one of my favorite plays. It's one of the play, favorite plays that I've seen. That's how I felt when I saw it. And it was one of my favorite plays to perform. I felt so lucky all the time. And it was completely challenging. It was really, really hard. But that felt like the right place to be performing that play, actually. It feels like you're in the right mindset to be doing something that you really love that is hard to do feels like the right mindset to tell the story that is what the constitution means to me. So it was great. What I couldn't get over is how long the play sustained that feeling in me. You know, I really Mm -hmm. just didn't, I was not ever getting bored with it. I never felt like I got on top of it or like I've done it already. You know, like I know what this thing is. I was just felt like it was always evolving and teaching me new things and it's just great. And so I, 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 might, I may be able to go back to it. Cassie Beck is going to do it next, which I'm really excited for her. And it seems like she will be able to start rehearsals and open the play well after. Well, we don't know. I'm sure there's going to be a lot more with uh, COVID. But um, right now she starts in June. So it seems like she'll be able to start that process. Got it. Cool. And then hopefully maybe I'll be able to go back to it and do it again. Do you, have you replaced people before? Because I was looking over your theater. Yeah, yeah I have. That was one, actually one of the things that I talked about when, after they cast me, Oliver and I um, just got together like in August and Oliver and I just went for a walk and had some lemonade <laughs> in Queens. And that was one of the things that we talked about. He asked me if I'd ever replaced someone before. And I had in the layover, uh, I replaced Annie Paris in mm-hmm. uh Leslie Headland's The Layover. And I actually really enjoyed that experience. You know, I did. Do you approach that differently than you do when you approach material that's new for everyone? No, I don't think that I approach it differently. I think that it's a luxury. Like, I think it's an incredible, it's an amazing thing to get to watch someone else do a show and to watch them do it many times and to just have that kind of like wash over you. And so I think that so much of the work when you first start doing a show and you have a play is that you just have word, you know, there are words on the page. I don't want to say just have words. That sounds, <laughs> that's the whole thing. You have, yeah, you have words on a page, but you literally, the world is like black and white. That is something that I think about sometimes, you know, you know the world is literally black and white that you get these white pages, which, you know, 
and um and then it, it has to turn into color it has to turn into 3d it goes from 2d and black and white to being 3d and full color and i think that that process sometimes you can um that it's exhilarating and then i think there are these times where you just lose you know, you, you lose your way a little bit. You're just like, oh, forget it. It was never, it could never be 3D. It just can't, just, you know, and then you have to like fight through that again and, you know, and find your way. And I think that that process is, it takes a lot of energy. And so to start a process where the thing is already done, people have basically done the really hard work for you, which mm-hmm. is how does this get from um, the imagination and in the realm of the imagination into the real They've done all that hard work. And then you can like tinker, you know? So you're, I feel like the, you know, the job of taking over someone's performance is you're a tinkerer. You know, you're like, oh, maybe a little bit more this way. Maybe a little bit more that way. Maybe, you know. And some of that tinkering, I think, is conscious based on having seen it a lot and how your, what your response, you know, how you felt as an audience member. Mm-hmm. And then some of that is uh, totally subconscious. And, you know, I think, I mean, some of, one of the things that I like to do a lot is Anne Bogart's idea of repetition with difference, mm-hmm. you know, that you just keep repeating the thing and that you can't help it. It's always going to be different. You know, on the most basic level, you repeat something in time and, you know, doing the gesture at one o'clock is different than doing the gesture at one fifteen. you know. But I also think the idea that I kind of like the idea of trying to copy something as much as you can is actually going to be your truest signature in a way. That when you try to insert yourself into something and they think you're physically and you're asking yourself maybe like more overt questions of like, what do I think about blank? I think that then you're starting to engage with ideas of like, who do you think you are? What do you like your biography to be? Like all of this kind of more performative you know, performative identity. Whereas I feel if you genuinely try to copy someone as much as you can and put it in your own body, that version of what you create is going to be more truly you because you will have paid attention to and seen the things that you pay attention to and seen and things that don't interest you will fall away. And that that's your interpretation. And I really like to do that. I mean, I, and that's similar to how I approach um, working on, you know, on text is that I really just try to do the text the best that I can, you know, and to make the sense, make sense of the language there rather than asking myself questions of, well, how do I feel? You don't do a whole lot of analyzing or, or thinking about. I think I do. Yeah, it's fine. Well, I do do a lot of like, inv- I think maybe yes. And uh, the thing is, is that I don't want to sound like I'm just like, oh, I just go there. Because I think I do a lot of work, but I think maybe I do a lot of investigating and not analyzing. Mm-hmm. You don't try to create a costume. You just try to, well, the, what you're describing to me sounds kind of like choreography. Like you just try to do the choreography. Yeah. Or I, that's interesting. Yeah. I think I just try really hard. To do the thing. <laughs> that sounds so weird. I just try really hard to do the thing. And then I figure that my version of my best version of the thing is going to be me doing it rather than what a person, maybe a, what some, maybe someone would think like, oh, if I just say the words, it's just going to be blank. It's just going to, it won't have anything in it where I actually think that that has the most of you in it. And then mm-hmm. when you try to do stuff, then you're kind of, 
sucking the depth out of something or the reverberations and because now you're going to do this. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, totally. And where if you made yourself like, I think this should be funny, you know, so then you're going to start to do it funny. Whereas if you just said it, it would have all of the things in it. And I think it's more, you know, when I think about like clowning classes and stuff like that and work that I've done with Chris Bays, which as a student, I'm really shitty. I'm a <laughs> shitty fucking horrible. I don't believe that at all. I feel like you're so I am. I'm just like, not, it's not even like, it's not even, I think that if I was a depressing clown, like that would be a step up. I'm a boring clown. <laughs> it's worse. <laughs> it's worse. Yes. But I love taking those classes because I always learn something and they really stretch me. And what I was going to say, and I feel like one of the main things I've learned about them is it's just so much cooler in a way, I think, to get a laugh from when you're just trying to be your genuine self and allow yourself to be laughed at than it is yes. to go into that other place where you're the person who's going to construct the funny thing. You know, you're kind of holding it at an arm's length. And I feel like, you know, obviously there's, that could be a part of something, but I love when the motor of a performance, especially one that has humor in it, is you just letting yourself be laughed at. <laughs> um, and I think that's more, you know, it's more visceral, I think. And I think it's more visceral for the audience and I think for you as a performer. You it's know, personal as, as the performer. Yeah, yeah. You and not your idea yeah. of something. Right, instead of your idea of what might be funny, of this yeah. like jackassy thing that would be funny. Um, speaking of studying, so you grew up in Jersey. Yeah. What part of Jersey? What was the, I grew up in central Jersey and people always want me to decide whether they're like, yeah, North or South. And I was really very central Jersey. If you look (laughs) at a map of New Jersey and you point your finger into the middle, that is my town, Cranford. Um, and it's, it's suburban town. It's a suburban commuter town. It's actually become more of a commuter town. I think that when I was first there, there was more industry and more work in Cranford. And then as the years have passed, now a lot of people live in Cranford and they take a train and work uh, in New York. Um, but yeah, it was really sub- suburban. Did you come into the city a lot to see plays? Uh, yes. Yep. My parents took us all the time, starting at a very young age. I mean, kindergarten kindergarten, you know, taking us in to see uh, Nutcracker. I mean, my mom, my mom is just a great artist and curator and she would take us to see awesome things. I mean, she took us to see, I still want to know who was in that show because I bet I've run into some of those people. I haven't done enough research. It was at Here Art Center, which I only know because I was able to figure out because there were columns the old here before, now it's been divided. The older here space at the bottom had all these big columns in it. And I think now, I, mean, I actually haven't been in it since it's been turned into the smaller rooms, but I think that that's changed. Because I remember we were in a basement, there were columns, and it was a production of Antigone. Oh, wow. And I remember there was this one guy who was in the, uh, oh, yes, men were in the chorus uh, rather than women being in the chorus. Well, I mean, it was all men originally, so I don't know what I'm talking about. But this one had men in the chorus. But Antigone was played by a woman. But I remember that my, my memory of the thing is this guy in the chorus. And every time something shocking would happen, his eyes would just get really wide. And I remember the thing as a 10-year-old, I was like, how much wider could that guy's eyes get? Um, but I really want to know who was in that show. But yeah, she just took you to see amazing things. You know, like both, you know, it's things that were um, off, 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 off Broadway and... Um, 
I have to say, actually, we saw a few, we did not see a lot of Broadway shows. My mom really preferred off Broadway and off 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 Broadway, and that's where we went. Wow. And I don't think that I didn't see a Broadway show until I was in high school and like my school took me. And when yeah. did you decide that you wanted to choose a life as an actor? When I was there, when I was in high school, because I really loved my drama teacher, Mr. Pridham. He was so great. He really inspired a lot of us. He was just a very inspiring person. And uh, you know, he, his other interest was uh, oceanography. And I always said that if he taught oceanography, then I would have become a scuba diver. Like, I just feel that it was his passion that was so exhilarating. And you just wanted to learn about the thing that he loved. And so that's when I wanted to. And I was also, I remember I used to audition. I went to this uh, summer art school, the Westfield Summer Art School. And I auditioned. I always get, you know, tiny parts. And I was happy with it. I just wanted to be included. But after my first year of working with him, I got the lead. Next year, yeah, and he was—he was really—he—he he knew how to teach kids. He really knew how to teach kids storytelling. What was the lead? It was Queen Jadis, <laughs> was the part. And and what what it's um you know it's not the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but it's related to that. It's in the Narnia series. Yeah, it's in the Narnia series, and so it was Queen. And I actually don't remember what the name of the play is right now. Mm-hmm. I just remember Queen Jadis and I loved my costume. It's like <laughs> black ratty wig. <laughs> <laughs> and then you went to Cornell for undergrad. Yeah. Did mm-hmm. you Ivy League? So obviously you were good at did well in school. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. It's I, big, you know, compared to my you know, it's a lot this is a lot it was a lot easier getting to school then, I do think. Also I was a January admit, which I don't know if they have that anymore. Oh. Or you can say, I really want to go to your school and I want to go there so badly, I'll take time off. And so, you know, and so that also, I was Why? advised by our college advisor to be a January admin. Why Cornell? Because, actually for a really specific reason, because I had, there was this thing, I think it was called, I think it's called like ART. You do these auditions and it is a nationwide thing and you tape yourself doing two monologues and you send it to this, group and they watch your tapes and they kind of rank you um i know i don't know if it exists anymore for colleges and so it was a way i guess to have like the same way you have like sports recruits it was like a way to have kids who are interested in the theater like how to you know get them be able to be known by all of these schools you know whereas because it would cost a lot of money for a kid to go and be in person you know at all these schools across the nation so you do these, you do two monologues and yeah, and you we got either first place, you know, it was like, I think that's what it is. I think it was first place, second place, third place, honorable mention. I got an honorable mention. Wait, and out of the entire nation or out it, of? Out of the whole nation. What? That's crazy. Is it? That's real? Because I always thought, I was like, eh, well, I got that better. That you were fourth best in the entire nation. Well, I, think I don't know what that means. Several- Right. Well, I think that there were several. I think it wasn't. It wasn't just one first place winner. I think there was like a couple, but I actually don't know what the number is. I don't know how. I don't know, but I know that people would get ranked, and so I did get ranked. So that was good. And so then you get a list of the schools who ask, who are interested in these numbers. And Cornell was the only um, Ivy League large school that was interested. Wow. All the other schools were smaller. Now, at the time, I really wanted to go to Swarthmore. Oh. I wanted to go desperately. 
But I was curious about Cornell, wanting to, which I thought of as, as, as like a medical science school. I was curious that they were interested in, that this meant something to them, you know. So I applied and, um, you know, I remember the guy at Swarthmore, like even wrote me, like I went, I visited Swarthmore, I had an interview with the alumni person. Then I went and I had, I met the head of the drama department and he wrote me a letter after and it said, see you in the fall. And then I didn't get accepted. <gasps> what? Oh, yeah. no. Were you heartbroken? I was and shocked. I think I, I kept that letter for a long time because <laughs> I couldn't wrap my head around it. And I was just like, is he an evil person? Like, was there a miscommunication? Like what happened? Like it really took me a long time. Um, wow. But in the meantime, there was this whole like Cornell thing and this whole, you know, and, and uh, yeah, and me hedging, I hedged, you know, with my January admin and it all just seemed to work out. And um, so then I decided that it would be exciting, you know, I thought it'd be exciting to do something opposite and instead go to this enormous school and be Science a student. School. Yeah, right. And, school. and suddenly that became, and I was like, all right, and you know, because all of the other schools I applied to were small liberal arts colleges that were kind of going to replicate the world that I'd already been in, you know, the small. And so I, I actually, I feel really lucky. I mean, obviously, it's a great school. So I feel super lucky that I got to go there. Did you do Greek life over there? I did not, but I, I was Greek life adjacent. I had uh, some roommates who did it, like 110% did Greek life. So I feel like that's I a majority like, of Cornell. It's like oh, a- I think it's a disaster. I can't wait till they get rid of it over there. I think it's a nightmare. Oh, I think it is a nightmare. I, I remember I screamed. At, there, there are some Greek guys in a Shakespeare class that I had, and I just screamed. I screamed at them. They <laughs> said some stuff to me, and I was just yeah. And then and it was actually at the end of the semester they came up to me and they're like, "Hey, we're, we're actually really sorry. We said all that shit to you." And I was like, "Thank you." Wow! How did they wind up in your Shakespeare class, or was it like an English lit class that wasn't? Yeah, it was an English. It was an English lit class, and so there was crossover. There were theater students who would take it, and you know, other people. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I went, but I don't respect the bard. Right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I remember. So I I witnessed all that Greek life stuff, and it's just like really stressful. Yeah. My one of my best friends went there, so I, that's how I know about their uh, that mm. reputation over there and yeah. that yeah. lifestyle. Um, and then you went to grad school, yeah, at UCSD. Was that your first choice? Uh, it was not my first choice. Uh, my first choice was I really wanted to go to Yale because mm. I wanted to be Meryl Streep, and so I think which is also why you know I mean I wanted to Swarthmore. I, I I don't know why I fell in love with Swarthmore. I just did, um, but obviously I also applied to Vassar. Uh, and I didn't get into Vassar or Swarthmore, but I was still, you know, there was, I was trying to, I wanted to be Mill Street, but I was trying to reconstruct that whole thing. So I really wanted to go to Yale. I didn't get accepted to Yale. I didn't get called back. Um, and then I wanted to go. So then I did get uh, called back at Juilliard. And so I really wanted to go there. And I was just like that. And I didn't get accepted. Um, and so I went to UCSD. I thought that if, I went to New York and I just moved to New York and got a job and started taking classes that I would um, get lost mm-hmm. and that I wouldn't um, be able to create the life that I wanted. I thought that I would be overwhelmed by that. And so I actually, for a really long time, I was like, I'm an institution lady. 
you know, I was like, I like getting, uh, you know, the, that safety of just being, you know, in it's a machine, you know, you start and they're going to teach you these things and they're going to spit you out. And I, um, I felt very comfortable in that environment. I thought I knew how to do well in those environments. And I thought to myself, that's where I should go. Now, with the perspective that I have now, I think that um, the people who have it in them to move to a uh, city and start to work and take classes are extraordinary. And I think that the actor that that makes, I think that those, I mean, you can't say anything across the board, obviously, but I do think that if you can survive in that environment, you become mature faster. Hmm. And I think that that's a nice thing. I think it's a good thing to be mature as an artist. You know, all the things that I feel like come along with that, being able to trust yourself. You know, I think that uh, spending a lot of time in schools, I think that you actually have to, it has to be on your list of things that you're going to work on for yourself is that you're going to um, work on developing your maturity and your ability to stand on your own. Hmm. I think it's something they have to work on. And institutions? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise I think that you're, you're constantly always, um, you know, I think you can lean on the institution and the institution will kind of push you forward like a snowplow. You know, they'll Mm -hmm. keep, it'll keep moving you through and there'll be this oversight, making sure that you're progressing from one thing to the other. And I think when you're on your own, you're in charge and you have to make sure that you're progressing from one thing to the other, you know, and if someone, yeah. But it was good because I had, you know, I had, I, I think one of the things is good is that I met Les Waters and that was obviously the most important thing I think about my studying at UCSD was meeting him. And was he running the program at that time? He was running the directing program. Mm. And I really think that that was, um, yeah, it's just an amazing thing. Like when I think about it now, I'm like the chances that he would be there at the same time and that he would want to work with me, you know, professionally, not just as a student. It just meant a lot you know, it meant a lot to me. And now to me, it seems so improbable, you know? Um, so I feel really lucky that that happened. And then the other good thing was I didn't have an easy time at UCSD. And I think that that was good. What was hard about it for you? I failed acting. You failed acting? acting yes. I, I had an acting class and you get a satisfactory and unsatisfactory. And I got a U for <laughs> unsatisfactory. And I actually think, you know, so it was good. So I had the meeting and then, you know, everyone's like, you get a you and then I cry. Were you and trying they, or were you, oh, did you just like hate being there? Like what was happening? I didn't like the class that we were doing. We were learning actions and I didn't get it. And I didn't think that it was helping my acting. Were you yeah. having like a rebellious phase? Did you feel like, or did you just feel like <laughs> I think, you really didn't get it? Yeah. No, I think, yeah, it was a combo. It was a combo of like, which I think is, that's something that I do all the time that I think a lot of people do is like, you meet a little resistance in terms of like, this is not coming easily to you. And then you're like, fuck it. (laughs) And so I think that's what happened is it wasn't coming easily to me. And then I decided to just sabotage the entire endeavor. (laughs) But obviously Les like saw you and like loved your and liked your work that he could. Yeah. So you like, like in spite of that. You know, or maybe, maybe, you know, 
But it could no, work, because he's not it. somebody who works in actions. That's not how he talks to directors. I mean, how, how he talks to actors. He doesn't talk, talk in terms of actions. You know, he, he tells you stories. That's the way that he directs people. And I really love it. He just tells you stories. And he tells the story in such a way that you take from the story what he wants you to, mm-hmm. which is really skillful. And I don't know quite how he does that. So you were an institution person, but then when you got there, you felt, did you feel like all of a sudden you were happened. I, this is what this is what happened. Is that I did say I was. I really knew. Uh, I knew who I was as an actor, and I knew what was not going to work for me long term. And I knew I what what I needed to learn. And I knew that as a person who did well in institutions, that I um, it was very easy for me to uh, jump out of my own experience and take on the perspective of someone else. So if someone else, you know, so someone gives you a set of rules, like you have to do these things. It was very easy for me to be like, okay, I'm not going to think about what I think is important. I'm going to invest in what you think is important. And Mm. I was very good at that. But I also knew that that did not make a very good actor. I just knew from my own experience of when I was acting, what I was having trouble with. I, I think that that was something that I was, I was able to be honest with myself. And when I watched friends of mine who were talented or were able to do things that I didn't think, were, which were elusive to me at the time, I thought the thing that I noticed where, yeah, they don't seem to care in a way. Obviously, they care greatly. They care greatly about the story and about their character, but they don't care about when they do it or do you know what I mean about or about how they are in rehearsal and I was starting to understand a little bit about that so I felt that I wanted to go to grad school and I wanted to go to grad and I knew that the thing that I needed to work on was to not care Mm -hmm. I I don't want to say that it's not caring because it actually is it's just it's what you think is important not allowing someone else to set the terms for what is important and I knew I needed to have a sense of freedom and I knew I needed to have a little sense of um like fuck you-ness, mm. I thought in order to be. And so I really went into school and I made that project for myself. And I decided that the most important thing is for, was for me to have fun. And if I really had fun, then I would be a better actor after three years. And it was funny because um, I actually like remember crying with my movement teachers. He was like, I just feel like you don't care about movement class. And he's like, you're always doing this other stuff. And I started crying and I was like, I do care. I just think that my whole project is that I need to have like fun and I can't like sit and like listen and be really studious because that is like, you know, that's so easy for me. And I'm trying to like break out. And I thought that movement place was a good place to do it. That's amazing. So you actually succeeded in your project, even though you got a U in acting. Yeah. So in some ways, right. No, and so in some way, no, I think that right, because I'm obviously, I'm very proud of my U, obviously. <laughs> I was proud of it at the time and I'm proud of it now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was great. That's what I wanted. I wanted to fail in acting and I thought, yeah. So after UCSD, did you come to New York? Um, no, I went and I did a show at... Um, Shakespeare, Santa Cruz. Mm. My uh, voice teacher, Ursula Meyer, was really great. She had a longstanding relationship with Shakespeare, Santa Cruz. And so she invited them to come and audition us. And she was, she like believed in me, you know. And so Mm. she, um, I think they auditioned me for Viola. Oh, no, I did a monologue from Twelfth Night. And because I ended up being in Midsummer Night's Dream there and in, she stoops to conquer. 
And so she like, I think they saw my monologue and they were like, uh, yeah, she's fine. And then Ursula like vouched for me. And then I had a huge nervous breakdown <laughs> when I was there. Who did you play in A Midsummer? Uh, Midsummer, I was um, Hermia, the little one, the short Got one. Yes, yes. Humorless, I think I was. I was not, <laughs> not a good Hermia. <laughs> was that part of the nervous breakdown? Were they yeah. like... <laughs> No, I I just didn't think I could hand. I just didn't think I was good. It was just to go from, I, I didn't know enough Shakespeare to, to then suddenly have a job. And I didn't know enough about it. I, and I, I just didn't. And I already didn't trust the, what I knew. I, I think the main thing is that it's not that you have to know a lot to do Shakespeare, really. I think you just have to know enough so that you can trust your instincts. And if you don't know enough, then you can't figure out how to trust your instincts in the Shakespeare because it feels so opaque. That's kind of what I think. Was it like uh, a rep theater? Did you have very short rehearsal time? And so you yeah, were like in the fire. You're like in the fire, just in it and just terrified. But there was a director there. I don't remember his name. And he was directing Midsummer. And I actually feel really, felt really safe. Well, I didn't feel really safe with him, but I felt safe with him because he, other people thought that he was mean. And I was like, I think he's great because he would just be like, no. <laughs> like, he was talking, and it just didn't feel personal. And I was like, right, agreed, no. What are your suggestions? <laughs> and I really liked it. I felt, you know, that he was able to catch me more. And he was like, look, come in, take his sword, throw it on the ground. <laughs> and I was like, great. <laughs> and I really enjoyed, and I actually really enjoyed working with him. And I thought he did, like a lot of people, you know, I think who have, are actually, um, is that true? I don't know if that's true. It's a personality that I like. And the personalities I like is people who on the surface are mean, but they're actually really warm and nice. <laughs> I think a lot of people like that personality. That's a fun personality. Especially in New York. I feel like that is like the New York personality. Yeah, right. I don't know or like Jersey, so. tri-state area. Yeah. And he, he was like that. He was like mean. He would be like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> you would be doing something, but I guess I, you know, maybe what, why you like, maybe why people are like the person is you feel safe. They're not going to like watch you for two weeks and then take you aside and be like, Maria, um, it feels like you're having a little trouble with the character. You know what I mean? And then you feel yes. like rugs been ripped out from underneath you and it can be so, I felt instead he was a great person. To they don't gaslight you. They just yeah, like, you were not exactly. So I think that's, that's probably why I felt comfortable with him. And I felt comfortable making mistakes because he wouldn't let you you know, make a mistake for very long. Cause he would be like, I can't I <laughs> watch you anymore. And so that was a good personality for me to be around. Do you, did the nervous breakdown make the, sh- you ended up performing in the show still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It did not make it better. It did not make it better. <laughs> but then after that, you decided you would tough out New York instead, or you didn't stay in Santa Cruz. Yeah, no, I, I wanted to, no, I wanted to go to New York. Was it a hard transition leaving school and then Santa Cruz and coming to New York? Was it pretty easy to find your footing? I think that emotionally it was a really hard transition, but it wasn't in terms of work. I think I was really fortunate that, and the reason why I think it was such a hard transition is because it was fortunate, but I I was very fortunate, but I was not having a good time. I, I was making everything, it was just very emotionally hard and I didn't know any of the things about myself that I know now. And so I wasn't able to help myself. And so I was always looking out to other people to try to help me. It was a real disaster. So, you know, that made it really hard. I think my interpersonal relationships and stuff like that were really, I was super needy. You know, I didn't really know how to give myself my own counsel. But other than that, it was great. Like I moved to New York. I 
I was so lucky. You know, we'd had, after I graduated from grad school, we had our um, showcase. And uh, one of the people who was interested in me and wanted more information was David Caporelliotis, mm-hmm. you know, who cast at the time uh, for MTC. And so then a show that they had had at MTC, which was called, I'm not going to remember. <laughs> I can't remember anything because I had a kid. And after I had my daughter, I can't remember anything. I can't remember uh, anything either. And I have no kids. Yeah, I used to remember everything. Oh, and I used to not, I would get so frustrated with my mom and I couldn't understand people who didn't remember stuff. I, but now, and now I'm that person. I can't remember the name of the play, but they had done an MTC and then it was going to go to Dallas Theater Center. And so MTC was, was doing the auditions for the Dallas Theater Center production. And I got cast in that as the lead. Wow. So that was great. Yeah, it was fabulous. And so I went to Dallas Theater Center and like, for all intents and purposes, you would think that I would just be like, yeah, and I just wasn't. I was scared the whole time. I was terrified. I always felt like people were going to discover that I didn't really know what the hell I was doing and fire me. And oh, it was just a nightmare. So emotionally, everything was just so hard. I would lose my voice all the time because I had so much stress because mm-hmm. I thought they were going to find out that I was, you know. And it went on for years. Years. <laughs> it was exhausting. The, the uncertainty that you were doing a good job? Yes. Just not, not thinking that, you know, having these two things going on, one hand, really wanting to do it and believing that at some point I could, but not believing that I could in the present, you know? And so I remember one thing that was really, um, I remember then I got a job at Alabama Shakespeare Festival and that's where I really learned how to do Shakespeare. Now I feel a lot more comfortable that I can, I can figure it out. I'm not an expert, but I, I think it would be fun to, to do another Shakespeare play now because I really learned a lot at Alabama Shakes. But I remember I had a job there and I remember sitting backstage and like looking at the back of the flat, you know, dressed. It was in Two Gentlemen of Verona. So you got like a wig. There's so much crap on. You know, you have the wig that's like glued to your head. <laughs> it's such a funny thing like to be off stage and you're just always like obsessively touching your netting <laughs> that you're like, <laughs> it's such a funny thing. So I was like obsessively touching my netting, you know, in this like hot pink silk dress or whatever because she's supposed to be the prettiest person in town so they needed to I needed a lot of extra stuff (laughs) (laughs) to sell sell that story um and I just remember thinking that the last thing in the world I wanted to do was go out on that stage I didn't I just want to stay curl up in the fetal position behind that flat and the only thing I could do to get myself the energy is I say to myself, I just want to do it because if I have a daughter, I want to be able to tell her that she can do it. Mm. And not that she could act, but I was like, I just want to be able to be a parent who can say, you know what? I was really scared and I did it and it was fine. And that was the only like narrative that I could come up with that would give me a little bit of courage in order to keep going. But I was not going because I, did, I couldn't find a way to I thought I was not the good (laughs) but it was great you know years later I read Rosemary Tischler edited a book called Actors at Work which I you know when I teach I always recommend that to everybody because um, because of who Rosemary Tischler is the actors that she interviewed were very frank with her and talked about their acting in ways that I really had never heard actors talk about their acting before, like not in, certainly not in magazine interviews and not on the talking with uh, the man who used to run, you know, the actor center. Yeah. He, he oh. would do for the new school. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. And I haven't heard people talk that frankly either. Like, I feel like that there's like really interesting anecdotes that people would share during that, but people didn't delve quite as frankly as they did about what their interpersonal relationship was to their artwork, the way they do in that book, Actors at Work. And so one of the things that I'm so vividly is uh, reading Diane Wiest's. And it was really, Diane Wiest improbably and shockingly felt very much the same way. And it was just, I felt so, I was like, oh, that's like, she's my patron saint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like she was like, she couldn't stand her voice. She couldn't stand, you know, she thought she was so awful, but she just kept like putting one foot in front of the other. And, um, and so I was like, oh, I guess it made me feel okay that it's like, okay, you know, that it's okay to have that inner dialogue or, I mean, I don't think it's okay. Like, I, don't, I think it's, I think it's really wearing on a person. I think it's really hard, but I was like, you can be an actor and feel that way. It made me feel a lot better. That's so interesting that you say that because I think the really good actors that I love, maybe you, I can kind of tell at some point they have all kind of had that battle because to be an actor who right away is like, I know I'm great and doesn't mm-hmm. have that self doubt. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, that I, I can't say that I know anyone who's quote unquote good that mm. is that way, you know, to think yeah. I am the greatest. I don't know. I don't know. I feel because I, I feel there are some people who are like, I'm the greatest and I'm into it. I love it. Mm. I, I kind of think sometimes that there are all these like different flavors of, oh, like, what is it? Because the thing is about going, right, that performing is brave, right? That's like a brave thing to do, to go up in front of people, right? Yeah. And then I just think there are all these like flavors of bravery and they're all kind of interesting for different things. Like Robert Downey Jr. is someone who I love listening to interviews with him because he think he is great. He's like, I've always known I'm a genius. He's like, I think I'm the greatest. I think early in his life, it was a really hard thing for him to deal with, you know, and his own genius. Yeah, he thought he was so great. It was like, it was such a big feeling to have to hold, you know, mm. it was how could he hold it all the time? How could he always hold that feeling? And, you know, and so that it took him to get older to feel like he could hold it and own it and be like, I'm fucking awesome. You know, and I like his performance. I like his, I like that flavor of bravery of like, yeah, like love it. Enjoy me, you know? (laughs) And I do think they're all different kinds. Like people who, who are, you know, who can't wait to share themselves, people who are reluctant to share themselves. And there's all just, you get just different kind of art and different kind of artists based on what that relationship is. So that's why in a way I think like you just have to, that's when people say like, you just have to do it. Yeah. You know, you don't have to be in a certain, you just have to do it. Do you have a sense of what was making you feel so like scared? Was it the expectation of the audience? Was it the director? Like, wh- who were you most anxious about pleasing? Um, the audience. And I think that what I was really, I, I do think like I have a little bit, you know, being someone who felt that like institutions worked for me is I liked having the kind of expectations laid out beforehand, you know, and so then meeting the expectations. And the thing that I felt, I think, as I got out, the thing that's so scary is you don't know what the expectations are of the audience. You could be like, I feel like I baked you this really awesome cake. And then you bring it and they're like, that cake is gross. We hate it. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's what was so scary to me. And so I think that I hedged 
by, I was too scared to hold the feeling of, I think I made something really amazing and I want to share it with you. And that feeling of what it would be like to go and share something that I thought was amazing and have the audience be like, we don't think it's amazing. I think that I was too scared to hold that. And so instead it, it felt safer for me to be like, I don't know if this is any good and I'm going to share this with you. And so if you say it's not good, then yeah, totally. I agree. And so I think that's something that as I've gotten older, that I've really tried. And that's something why I started taking the clown classes is because I really wanted to figure out how could I be like, I made you a present. I made a thing for you and I want to share it with you and I feel good about it. And then how do I then, you know, adjust and weather the experience of sharing that? You know, because I think that's what's, I mean, that's how you grow as an artist. For me, it's different for everybody. Everybody discovers what works for them. But for me, I was like, I have a feeling that the most growth for me will be if I start to acknowledge the fact that I worked really hard something on something and I like where I arrived at and now I want to share it with you. And if you don't like it, and then, you know, does that make sense? Yeah. And then to be like, okay, so you want more. That was not enough. That was not, not interesting enough. It was not deep enough. You want more. Okay. You know, rather than coming from this other place of like, maybe. Yeah. So that's what I've really tried to work on. And that's what I really liked about doing constitution. What the constitution means to me is because I felt like um, I'd seen the play. I knew it was a great play, you know, so I had to really, if things weren't working, it, you know, it was me. You know, and I had to really go start the play being really confident. I'm going to share this amazing thing with you, you know, and that if the, I felt the audience interest was waning, I had to be like, let me figure it out. You know, Mm, you're solving a puzzle in real time. Yeah. And I love it. I love solve, And I actually really love it. I love solving a puzzle in real time. I think it's so exciting. I want to fast forward a little bit to like 2002. Yeah. Eurydice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you do Eurydice. You're like, again, the leading, the lead character in this. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Was that, and, and also I'm just going to tie it in with the vibrator play because two years yeah. after you do Eurydice, yeah. you have your Broadway debut and then you get nominated for a Tony. Right. Yeah. That was very exciting. That was all, you know, it was like, so the, yeah, Eurydice was, it was such a beautiful play. I love doing it. I felt like I could count the number of times I did that play the way I thought it should be done on one hand, you know, the rest of the time I felt I just really struggled because the play I think has, it requires a lot of you. I think that it really asks uh, Eurydice in particular to be very open. And I think a place that I learned how to occupy a lot better uh, actually doing um, what the constitution means to me. Mm -hmm. And to really just be yourself. I think that anybody could play Eurydice as long as they're themselves. You know what I mean? That I think that that's what it wants from a person is just to have their honest experience. And I did not have the tools yet to totally know how to do that. So it would happen to me like accidentally, you know, Mm -hmm. but I knew even when it was an accident, I knew that it was happening. Like I remember, I think two of the best performances I had was one, I played badminton with one of the other women in the cast right before we went on. And um, then we like ran, we were playing badminton like right up to places 
And it was just because I was so terrified. I couldn't stand to be terrified anymore. And she was like, you want to play? And I was like, yes, great. And so I just played with her and then ran on stage, fully convinced that this was just going to be like, whatever. It was easily the best performance that I had. And now at the time I was like, what is it about the badminton? I don't, you know, and now I'm like, yeah, of course, because I was, I got into my body rather than being in my head. Mm -hmm. And um, I was genuinely playing with someone else. So I had to follow where the, you know, the little birdie went, <laughs> you know, and so I was, I, you know, I, so that all makes sense. And I'm like, yeah, of course I had a great show. And then the other time I had a good show was I was late for half hour and I was so scared and terrified. And I was also convinced I was going to have a shitty show and I had the best show. And I think that's also because in the other way I had like given up, I had like given up. Mm-hmm. I wasn't trying to have control over the thing anymore. I was already, I was like, it's already a wash. So you already fucked it. <laughs> At you the know. time, how did you navigate that feeling of the self-imposed feeling of I'm not doing a good job? How did you like cope with it? Yeah, I think, I mean, it would end up, it would all just go into my muscles. And so, and I lost my voice doing that show also. And I spent a lot of time on that show, of that show on steroids. It would just all go into my body. The, the stress would just go into my muscles and into my, yeah. I mean, that's what would happen to it. Would you want to go back and do it again, knowing what you know now? Yeah, I would love to. I think about it all the time. I would love to. I would love to be able to do Eurydice now. I feel like it would be a lot easier because it, it's such a beautiful play and it's so well written. You just have to start at the beginning, mm-hmm. you know, and do it. And the play works itself on you. It's not a play that you have to lift the whole time. Mm-hmm. That's what's so great about Heidi's play. Constitution is like that too. Just works on you, yeah. Yeah, it just works on you while you're doing it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you encounter plays where you have to do the lifting or do you feel like you're the kind of actor that people are like, oh yes, Maria knows how to take the ride. So we're going to call her because we love watching. Oh, that's a nice thing. I don't know. I wish people said that. That would be really nice. Um, No, I think that I've I've definitely worked on plays where I, I can't say that I wouldn't, I wouldn't put a stamp on the play and say like, this play is not a ride, but I've definitely had plays where I couldn't figure out what the ride was. You know, and it was where I felt like I had a teacher who said she was, I was a writing teacher and she said that um, she was teaching us how to write an essay and I think she was frustrated with all our essays and she'd said, you write essays. She was like, every paragraph begins and you get on your bike and then you drive it into a wall <laughs> and you, so you, and you, she's, she's like, and then you, you fall off the bike and then the next paragraph you have to get back on the bicycle and then you drive it into another wall. And she was like, you're supposed to get on the bicycle at the top and then drive it all the way to the end. And I really, that stuck with me because I think about it, about acting all the time, that the acting should not be that you get on a bike and then you drive it into a wall and you fall off at the end. Does that make sense? You know, because yeah. I, I you definitely have that feeling like sometimes when you're a play and you spend time off stage that instead of that's, you know, you don't, you can lose sense of feeling on the ride and you can feel like every entrance is like a new play, you know, and a new thing. And I, so, um, I've had plays where I haven't figured out what the ride is and I'm definitely, and I really, I always have that image of my head of riding my bicycle into the brick wall. And I'm like, here I go. (laughs) That's so funny. I feel like I, sometimes I'll be like, the playwright built that wall there. It's not my fault. Oh, right. Oh, <laughs> or that's whatever. Not- blame the director or something. I don't know. Right, right. Right. Oh, I know. Poor directors. They get a lot of blame, but they know. <laughs> they know. How has, how has being a mom changed your work? I, I have no idea. I, 
Was it a hard transition? I mean, you come, you're in a household of two theater people. Yeah. I mean, I do less theater because it's hard because you have to be physically away for so long and it's such like inconvenient hours and stuff like that. Whereas like working in TV and film, you know, you can wake up at three o'clock in the morning and work and you could be done by 2 p.m. and go pick up your kid from school. My daughter's in here right now. You need to find some dark. Yeah. Go in that closet. If you don't lock yourself in there, but you'll be able to find. No, no, no. I got to finish. We're going to, I'm going to finish doing this and then you and I can do it. Hi. How's it going? I'm Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Nice to meet you. I'm staying right here. <laughs> no, head, head back out. And Rachel and I will finish, and then you and I and can then do... me, and you <laughs> will sit here. <laughs> Let's see. How has... We... So maybe <laughs> the things is that I've learned um, <laughs> maybe how to multitask better. <laughs> yes. You no, know, and so because Albertine's come to the theater with me when I have done plays. Oh, yeah? Yeah, she comes backstage, she hangs out, and people have been really, you know, theater people are so lovely, theater people are great, you know. Albertine's also been to shows with Will, and she's thrown a couple cues, right? You've made the lights come on, and you've done oh. some changes, yeah. And I've also uh, done at Dad plays, I've done five minutes, five minutes, everybody. Ooh, that's a sport <laughs> job. That's a sport that. job. That's amazing. I wish all my stage managers were small people. <laughs> right. Isn't that so sweet to hear? You know, it was funny. When I was pregnant, I really did feel different. You know, I, I think that your body and your relationship to your body is so important as an actor. And I think that just having a person, you know, in my belly, like in the, the center of my body where you feel inspiration and inspiration and stuff and having that place feel physically full was really empowering to me you know something that I think that I struggle with and I think that probably other people you got, well let me finish and then we'll do our project this is just one project and then when I finish this project then you and I will do the glow in the dark project did you have school today Albertine yes you did how'd it go good good what's your favorite subject subject mean? Like topic? Like, do you like math or history or science? I like art, science, and activity time. Oh, activity time. That sounds cool. Dad's back. It's nice to meet you. Bye. I'll see you soon. <laughs> so I was, when I was pregnant, I felt, oh, because I was going to say, I think what I felt, I think that other people feel that too, is you're like, what does inspiration feel like? And you're like, you can feel inspired in one minute. And then you're like, I don't feel it anymore. If I don't feel it, does that mean it's not present? And I think that there's a conversation that a lot of us have, like before we go out on stage, you know, where you're like, I want to, you know, you feel like you want to be holding something in a way. Right. And I feel like mm -hmm. part of the process of figuring out how, to go on stage and trust yourself is to release yourself from that thing. Be like, I can feel a lot of different ways. I can feel very full and present and I can do the work or I can actually start from a place of, of emptiness and to not feel that being empty is not being prepared. Just be like, well, then I'm going to be filled by the circumstances of the play or by 
interacting with the audience and with my uh, scene partner and stuff like that. And to think of that as being like, this is so exciting. I'm going out with nothing, you know, and, but, you know, to feel like that's like a, you know, to feel like that's actually like a valuable, exciting place to be. And so when I was pregnant, I just never felt like nothing. I always felt this presence. I always had this like big, warm thing inside, you know, in my creative center. And so I felt really good, you know, and I think also like, you know, your pelvis is like literally wider, you know, so I had like a wider base and, you know, I I felt, so I thought, oh my God, this is awesome. I was like, this is who I am now. I was like, this is so thrilling. And then I had her and then I went back to being who I was. (laughs) And I was like, oh, shit. So, you know, and then I was just me again and I was like, oh, and then I would have a feel, feeling of emptiness again in my center. There wasn't anybody kicking or, you know, I was just like, oh yeah, now it's just me. <laughs> and I don't know. No. And so then I just had to deal with the same things that I always had to deal with. But I enjoy figuring them out, you know. Mm-hmm. Now I feel more, it's not like that. I feel like I've necessarily figured stuff out. I think that I've been able to, you know, that I've learned more and then I've learned that to really believe that your problems are your strengths, you know, and that the things that you struggle with are your strengths and what you're bringing to something. And so the problem only happens as an actor is when you're trying to hide that you're struggling, like to hide the struggle. And then you get kind of caught and trapped in this whole thing. But if you're just really unapologetically yourself, then you're contributing to the interpretation. I love that so much. Oh, you do? Okay, I thought you were yeah. like... like <laughs> you're I love like, that so, so much. <laughs> wow, that's such a beautiful note to end on. Um, thank you. You have to tell me what Matt said. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So he, I was like, how's your quarantine going? And he said, uh, you know, uh, being in quarantine is kind of like leaving a walkathon. Oh, right. That's what I said that I always thought. Yeah, I always said that... Um, yeah, leaving quitting acting would be like leaving acting is like starting a walkathon. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Yeah, he has my, I mean, Matt has so many of my favorite quotes. But I remember my first Law and Order. He watched it with me, and I was so because I was so scared to see myself on camera. And I was like, "So, what did you think?" He was like, "You got an A. It was an easy class, but you got an A." <laughs> um, thank you so much, Maria. I appreciate your time. It's so nice so to get to talk to you. So nice. I hope we get to see each other soon. Yes, me too. I have no idea when. I don't even want to guess. That was Maria Dizia. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. In the meantime, stay safe and have a great day.